Morning, St. Paul's. I'm sorry that I couldn't be with you in person today. If you received the church's weekly email, then you know why that is. Uh, around Wednesday, Sarah and I uh, started to come down with some kind of bug. Um, it started with mild fever, uh, fatigue, and headaches. And uh, fortunately, the fever for both of us is is over. Um, it's been over for the last couple of days, but the fatigue and headaches and lack of appetite have remained. Uh, on Thursday, we went to get tested for COVID, and uh, they told us that it would take two to four days to get the results. So we're still waiting on that. Uh, honestly, it's disappointing and a little frustrating to have caught anything, whether it's COVID or not, because both of us have been pretty diligent about wearing masks and social distancing and hand washing. So we're not quite sure uh, how we got this bug. Uh, we are doubtful that it's COVID because neither of us is having a problem with uh, coughing or, or breathing, um, but uh, we don't wanna take any chances. So we're quarantining for now and uh, we appreciate your, your prayers. So given the circumstances, I'm not going to try to preach on Revelation this week. We will hopefully return to Revelation next Sunday this week. I just want to keep things short and simple, and I hope relevant. Uh, this week, of course, is the week of Election Day, and that means that emotions in this country are running very high. They have been uh, running high for quite a while, and you might say that they are reaching a fever pitch. And the emotions this election cycle are probably the most intense I've seen in my lifetime. And uh, then coupled with that intensity, doubt has been sown you know, regarding the trustworthiness of our democratic process. So you take those two things and then you combine that with uh, the ongoing stress of the pandemic and just what a challenging year 2020 has been for, for all of us. And um, I really think that there is, a, um, there is a risk of instability and violence in our country. And just to be clear, I'm not saying that I am expecting that, I'm not predicting that, I'm certainly not threatening that um, or anything, anything like that, but I'm simply trying to acknowledge what I and many other people perceive to be a possibility. And, you know, I am hoping and praying that this country will have a fair election this week, uh, that all legitimate votes will be counted and that everything will take place peacefully. And I still think that that's the most likely scenario for what happens next week. But I can't deny that I also have this concern about the, the possibility of violence and instability in our nation. And I know many others do as well. And so I feel the need to say something that speaks to this situation that we're in. A couple of months ago, when we were really getting into the thick of election season, I encouraged us to center ourselves in the chaos with two different passages. And you might remember what, what they were, but quick review. The first passage was John 13, when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. That was a radically humble action. 
uh, in those days, not only were rabbis not supposed to wash feet, but Jewish servants weren't even supposed to wash feet. The rabbis would say, if you have a servant and that servant is Jewish, don't degrade him or her by making them perform uh, such a humiliating act. If your servant's a Gentile, well, then, you know, that's okay. But if they're Jewish, you know, show more respect for them than that. And yet Jesus willingly performed this incredibly uh, humble act. And after he did it, he said to his disciples, you should do the same. No servant is above his master. I'm your master. You're my servants. Uh, therefore, you should be doing things like this too. You should be washing feet. So in other words, we in the church, followers of Jesus, we should be the kind of people who wash feet, the kind of people who humbly serve those around us. And when people think of us, even when they think of us during election season, season <clears throat> they should think, those are foot washing kind of people. Those are humble people. Those are graceful people. Those are generous people. So that was centering passage number one. And then the second one uh, that I suggested uh, comes from Mark chapter 12, where Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And by that, Jesus was saying, Caesar can have your taxes but he should never have your soul. Only God deserves your soul. Only God deserves uh, your heart, your uh, full allegiance, your worship. And that's important uh, for us to remember because in election years, we can be tempted to give to a Caesar, you know, a political candidate, a political party. We can be tempted to give to them what really belongs only to God. And we have to guard against that. Now, this Sunday, I want to add one more passage to this list, one that I really want to be on our hearts and minds going through this election week. And uh, it's another centering passage, and I doubt the one I've chosen is going to be a surprise to any of you. If you've been coming to this church long enough, you've certainly heard me preach on this before. And it's 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 13. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there now. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. 
Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a, ref a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. In this election week, it is so important for us to remember what Paul says here. If I do not have love, I am nothing. And what that means is if I do not have genuine concern for my neighbors, if I do not want those around me to be blessed, truly blessed, then I am spiritually dead. And Paul expresses this so dramatically. Verse two is especially striking to me. He says, if I can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, but do not have love, I'm nothing. You know, that's like saying, if I knew everything there was to know, but I didn't love my neighbor, I wouldn't have gained anything worthwhile. You know, if I knew the Bible from cover to cover, if I memorized the whole thing, if I'd written whole systematic theology textbooks, if I knew Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, if I knew uh, every damaging piece of information about the liberals or the conservatives, if I could accurately fact check every statement every politician makes, uh, if I memorized every book in every library in the whole world, if I had all that knowledge, but I didn't have love, I would have gained nothing. I'm nothing. I'm just, I'm spiritually dead. The attitude of love matters that much. That's how important it is. Now, I don't know how you feel when you hear that. For some of us, this emphasis on love, I think it can sound naive, like kind of sentimental and idealistic. Not too long ago, I heard about a political commentator who wrote an article about how uh, we have to have norms of respect and civility in political discourse. And those norms have disappeared. And, and this person was saying, sure, you know, we've got to have vigorous debate. We have to value free speech, but there's just, there's got to be more value of respect and civility. In other words, there's got to be love. Uh, in the way that we treat each other. And another political commentator wrote a response to this article. And he basically said, no, you don't get it. Politics is war. And in war, you can't worry about respect. And he said that when it comes to politics, civility is actually not a virtue. It's a problem. And what's actually virtuous in politics is just doing whatever is necessary to win because the stakes are that high. And what that second commentary was arguing, that response, uh, was that prioritizing love is naive. I don't know if that's necessarily what the 
uh, commentator meant to argue, but that is in essence what he was saying. And Paul says in response to that, no, no, not prioritizing love is naive. Notice what he says in verse 11, look at it again. Uh, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now, why does Paul say that? What does that have to do with what he's been talking about throughout this whole passage? He says that because he's acknowledging, I once didn't think this way. I once was naive. There was once a time when I didn't realize the importance of love. There was once a time when I cared more about knowledge, when I cared more about winning and you know, being able to brag and boast about being smarter and more talented than other people. But I've put that childish way of thinking behind me. Now I see that real spiritual maturity is directly related to how much I care about my neighbor. So the question I want to raise for us this morning is, have we put childish ways behind us? Or are we stuck in immature ways of thinking that don't prioritize love? You know, immature ways of thinking that are more concerned with owning the libs uh, or shaming the Trumpsters uh, than actually loving our neighbors. If so, Paul's saying, grow up. Recognize what real maturity looks like. It doesn't look like that. So what does it look like? Well, Paul gives us a detailed description in verses four through eight. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is a very popular passage to read at weddings, and there's nothing wrong with that. Great, great passage for a wedding. But because it gets read at weddings so often, it can give us a false impression that Paul was instructing spouses on how to treat each other, that this is really all about how a husband should treat a wife and a wife should treat a husband. And we, you know, spouses should treat each other this way, but Paul wasn't speaking directly uh, to the spousal relationship here. He was speaking much more generally. He was talking about how we are all supposed to treat each other. The specific problem he was addressing was that the Corinthian church was a mess. People were caring more about knowledge and about sharing uh, or, or um, showing off their spiritual gifts than actually serving one another and loving one another well. And so he gave these words to correct them. So we shouldn't hear this passage and just think marriage. Uh, we should think of things like how Republicans are supposed to treat Democrats and how Democrats are supposed to treat Republicans. Uh, this is a description of the kind of values that good politicians should embody. Patient, 
kind, not boastful, not proud, not dishonoring of others, not seeking one's own glory, not easily angered, not retributive, honest, rejoicing in the truth. And I know that might sound idealistic, but that's at least what we should desire from our politicians. If we're being spiritually mature, not childish, that's what we should want from them. But regardless of whether or not we have that in our politicians, we ourselves are called to embody this description of love in our own lives. I've heard before that a good exercise is to swap out the word love for your own name and then ask yourself honestly, does this describe me at all? You know, John is patient, John is kind, John does not envy, he does not boast, John is not proud, John does not dishonor others. You know, does it work at all if you substitute your own name or does it just sound ridiculous? Is it just embarrassing? This week, if we're feeling a lot of emotions surrounding this election, maybe one of the things that we should do is find this passage and pray and say, God, may what I read be true. Ryan is patient. Ryan is kind, etc. And then after you've read it, remind yourself, without this, without love, I am nothing. Okay, without this, I am spiritually bankrupt. And just to be clear, because I don't want you to take what I'm saying the wrong way. The love that Paul is describing, it's not passive. It's not wimpy. It's not just about being nice. <clears throat> and remember, Paul says, love rejoices with the truth, right? Which means love cares about truth. And if we care about truth, then we're going to be bothered by falsehood. But love doesn't succumb to hate when it contends for truth. Love remains patient. Love remains kind. Love seeks the blessing of its neighbor as it contends for truth. In fact, that's why love contends for truth. So this election week, let's be people who recognize the truth of this passage and who live in a way that shows that we actually believe it. Let's live it, let's model it, and let's put childish ways behind us. And as we do, may Christ be glorified. Let's pray. Lord, uh, only you know exactly what's ahead this week. And uh, Lord, we want to acknowledge that our real trust is in you. It's not in any political leader. It's not in any nation. Uh, it's in Jesus Christ. And Lord, if any of us have lost sight of that and have tried to put our trust somewhere else, we pray that you, you would realign our, our faith uh, to where it needs to be. And as our faith rests securely in you, uh, we pray that we would be free to be loving people, uh, people who recognize that um, love is, is not just a, an optional part of being a disciple, 
it is critical, it is essential. And Lord, this election week, may we uh, model 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. And Lord, we do pray uh, for everything that's going to happen this week. Uh, we pray for a fair election. Uh, we pray for a peaceful election. Um, Lord, we, uh, we pray um, that our country uh, would be held together and um, that we would, uh, we would seek you. And uh, Lord, we just uh, ask for your blessing as, as we do that, Lord. And, and we pray that you would help uh, every person who's part of your church to remember that regardless of who is in the White House, uh, we are called to be people who embody love, uh, to be people who wash feet, and to be people who do not trust in the kings of this world, uh, but in you. We give you thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.